Hello and welcome to the debut edition of the tentatively titled Camden Cast, the vaguely official podcast of CamdenChat.com. Uh, my name is Mark Brown on Camden Chat. You know me as EatMoreSK, and I am joined today by one Andrew Gibson on Camden Chat. He's Andrew G. Andrew, how's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good to be talking all reels out loud and not with my fingers on a keyboard. And your infamous Yankee-loving girlfriend is probably getting tired of hearing about the Orioles, too. Yes. But now she can, you know, I'm sure she's listening, supporting, uh, hugging her Nick Swisher uh, doll while she's doing so. So as we're sitting here recording this podcast Thursday night, I'm looking at the countdown on the site. We're seven days, 20 hours, 23 minutes, 12, 11, 10, etc. seconds. It is great to finally be having opening day coming along after the whole of the spring because really I was excited for spring training to begin and then as soon as it started I was sick of it and uh, I'm really kind of ready for some real baseball games. Yeah, it's it's stupid how, you know, pitchers and catchers, pitchers and catchers, like three days still pitchers and catchers and then like I, I always make sure I wear orange on pitchers and catchers day and then like the next day it's like, position players in like four days like this is really boring when 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 are the games starting and then of course probably nobody even knew why you were wearing orange on pitchers and catchers because really we are we the blogging community are way more hardcore than anybody you're likely to meet as far as just intensity of orioles fandom to the extent that you wear orange when pitchers and catchers are reporting So, anyway, opening day is coming up, and last year we actually spent uh, opening day in the same place when we were in that lovely restaurant in Dundalk where we got to watch the eating contest. So, uh, how are we feeling going into opening day last year versus going into opening day this year? Well, uh, I feel a lot better this year, but I think, you know, I I don't know what horrors are awaiting us uh, right around the corner, perhaps. Um, But, uh... You know, last winter was not easy, uh, specifically Garrett Atkins and Mike Gonzalez and Miguel Tejada Part 2, and it was just, it was weird, and like it didn't feel like forward momentum at all. Like, it, it felt like, if anything, backwards momentum. Like, we're really going to, like, wager our season on... Garrett Atkins, really? And this year, you know, we've got all these young pitchers and and there's, there's a lot more sort of legitimate reasons for hope, I guess. Um, we're, there's no 52-year-old Miguel Tejada anymore. Uh, right, we just have 30-whatever-year-old Vladimir Guerrero getting his $8 million and his knees are going to be whatever, but uh, well, you know yeah. what? At least he's just going to be the DH, and hopefully he won't, you know, be bad. So one of the things I wrote in the on the site after they signed him was talking about having hope for this season, and I've been thinking about it since I wrote that and trying to imagine, okay, well, what do I feel good about? And looking at the things coming up, it's like, it just seems like the way the pitchers have performed in spring, the rotation, there's a lot of question marks once you get past Guthrie and Mattis. 
Now, obviously, spring training stats you got to take with a grain of salt anyway, and I don't know what they are, but just from what it seems like I've read from the games, who knows. But hitting will just hopefully not be terrible now because really some of that stuff we saw in the first, you know, four months of last season was... Honestly, I don't know how we managed to endure it. Like, every time I go back and look at old posts on Camden Chat, it's like, wow, how did we live? Like, May was just so terrible. Everything was terrible about it. It really was. Uh, boy, it's it's not fun to, to remember. You know, it's like we're talking about Jake Fox right now in spring training. But to me, Jake Fox's, like, main contribution was he was the guy who finally got – Garrett Atkins off the roster in May or June or whenever that. That's right. And I have not been the biggest Jake Fox fan on uh, on the site. And you know what? I hadn't really thought about that. I should be more kind to him just because he finally banished uh, Garrett Atkins to the bench. Yeah, but like that is the that's the the good thing that happened last May or, or whenever. It was just it was so bad. I, I'm, I can't go back and, and read those things. They're, they're terrible memory. I, 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 I won't relive it. So moving on for coming up this coming season, one of the things we did on Camden Chat, some of you may have participated, some of you may have been slackers. We had our community collective uh, projections. And to be honest with you, um, collectively, I think we're insane because... <laughs> As we yes. start looking at these, I mean, some of the stuff that, that the community has collectively predicted is really just unreal. Like We're high. We are high. It was like we were going to watch baseball, and then we got high. I don't know. But uh, Vladimir Guerrero, Camden Chat says, is going to play in 137 games, 25 doubles, 26 home runs, slash line 299, 349, 491. Okay. What percent chance do we give of Vladimir Guerrero having nearly a 500 slugging? Well, I was season? thinking, you know, 130 games. I can see that. That seems feasible. And then everything else just sort of went out the window. Uh, you know, the the doubles, like. I haven't watched a lot of spring training baseball, but what little I have seen, he's not running like a guy who's going to hit 20-plus doubles. To me, I mean, maybe he will. I don't know. Yeah, I've, I read something on the Rock Kubatko blog about how there was like a grounder that three-hopped and got bobbled, and Vlad like didn't even beat it out going down the first baseline. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, honestly, I don't remember what I predict, predicted for doubles for Vlad, but uh, it was probably way too many. <laughs> yeah, so right, exactly. Maybe I should have thought about that a little more. Maybe everybody else should have. So. Well, you know, we're Orioles fans at spring training. He's Vlad freaking Guerrero. Let's, right, we want to believe. this. Even, 25 even doubles. Okay, so Adam Jones is going to play 147 games, 28 doubles, 23 home runs. He's going to walk 38 times, 111 strikeouts. And his slash line, 288, 345, 466. Boy, if Adam Jones did that, that would be so great. But uh, well, that's not that's not that's not crazy. Um, it's it'd be nice. It'd be very very nice. I think the strikeouts sound low to me, but everything else, not ridiculous. It'd be nice. 
Moving on through the outfield, Nick Markakis predicted by the community to have 46 doubles, 20 home runs, 81 walks, 94 strikeouts. That would be a great ratio. That would be... Hitting 303, on base 387, slugging 477. Well, you know, Nick Markakis is the guy that uh, I guess the stats community has always thought is... Uh, if he could be the 300, 400, 500 guy, that would be just perfect. Uh, like 400 on base percentage, 500 slugging, 300 batting. And he's got two parts of that, sort of, so far in his career. But, the you know, the story with him has always been, where is his power? Where is it going? Like, he hits for less and less power every year. Um, I... You know, the easy answer would be that he's hitting in a lineup without any protection, but I'm not sure I buy that. Right. The protection theory is one of those things that seems like it gets uh, not really given much credit by the advanced statistics people. And I have to admit, I haven't looked into detail with all that. But it just, it's one of those things that you feel like should be true, just that lineup protection matters, even if the numbers don't bear it out. Because, I don't know, I, for one... I'm excited to see Nick Markakis with some actual hitters around him in the lineup now because, like, last year he was batting ahead of Ty Wigington for, like... Ty Wigington. Oh, I did a Jim Palmer right there. Uh-oh. The all-star. Um, after, like, and after May 1st, Ty Wigington was terrible. And Nick Markakis was third and Ty Wigington was fourth for so many Orioles games last year. And, you know, there was the whole thing with... Oh, here I'm talking about Nick Markakis doing you know. But, uh... There was the whole thing where he went out in the press and he saw, you know, the team, the hitters had no approach and he had his whole lunch with Peter Angelos. And the thing about Nick is it was great that he said all that, but it was like after he did that, he was taking it all so seriously and he started struggling after that. I was, is my memory of his, how his season went. And um, just hopefully not being terrible coming out of the gate with the team. I think Nick Markegas is one of those guys who can just have a more stable environment and hopefully... Well, I I get the sense that a lot of these guys, last year especially, just took so much on themselves. When two weeks into the season we've won one game and Brian Roberts is out with his back thing and the pitching staff is a mess and Ty Wigington's batting fourth. And, you know, I don't know what type of person Nick Markakis is or what type of person Adam Jones is. But it's not irrational to me, even with all of my stats, uh, whatever. Uh, it, it's not irrational to me that they would be pressing the the bulk of the season, and then as things get worse, they would press more. I mean, that seems pretty reasonable. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, this year it's not going to happen. They could feel pressure because they're surrounded by enough better hitters, or at least hitters with a better reputation than Garrett Atkins. Um, they right, could feel the pressure to... career success. Whether or not they'll be able to do that level again, who knows. But we have we have something to be hopeful for. So we'll certainly see what Nick Markakis does uh, this season with that around him. So let's see. That covers us for center and right. And left field... Well, before we had Vlad Guerrero, we were thinking, okay, is it going to be Felix P.A. or is it going to be Nolan Reimold in left field? And uh, the community thinks Felix will play in 80 games. He'll have 14 doubles, 7 home runs. 
you'll be hitting 272, 316 on base, 425 slugging. And 425. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a lot of isolated power for Felix there. I think uh yeah, I think people probably didn't know how to calculate the slugging cuz I I don't honestly. I didn't put that much effort into it and uh probably nobody else did either. Well, so, I'm, I'm there with my calculator correcting people. Uh yes, we noticed. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Felix will probably make the roster what because he's out of options and Nolan Reinwald is not and uh yeah. Who knows where, with injuries and how much he plays, what Felix could do, but you know, 316 on base percentage, uh, however much he plays, that's probably what we're going to get out of Felix. And yeah, some of us, like our distinguished uh, blog overlordist Stacy Long, probably would like him to be better than that. But, uh, you know, I think Felix PA is who he is. And if he's a fourth outfielder for us, you know, that's okay. Yeah, it is. And he is a very good defensive fourth outfielder. I, that's sort of damning with faint praise, I guess. But, you know, if he's out there playing the end of games, taking over for Luke Scott, and, you know, playing once a week or twice a week regularly, that's fine. That is perfectly fine. That's, you know, a, he, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. It's, it's fine. The other advantage for Felix is he can be a backup center fielder, which can be significant because Adam Jones has had a tendency to have some DL stints uh well, in so is in Baltimore. Well, so is Felix. Right. So, so what? It, you know, I don't know what UZR says for Felix, but he's fast and he can stand with a glove in center field, which is better than uh, better than Nolan. So, Nolan, the community says, is going to play in 72 games, 15 doubles, eight homers, 287, 371 on base, 472 slugging. It would be very frustrating for me to see him play that well and be a bench player. That was exactly Stacy's comment on this post. If Nolan puts up 371 but only gets into 72 games, Stacy says that's a shame, and I have to agree. So just based on the option thing, what Nolan probably starts in the minors and maybe they get him some time in first base. Uh, who knows what's going to happen with Derek Lee's assorted. Well, I, I'm not sure there's any whatever. room for him in, at first base. Because you got Brandon Snyder's down there, Ryan Hughes is still down there, Joe Mahoney is down there. You know, I'm not sure putting Nolan Reimold at first really makes any sense given all those other guys. Nolan is probably my player who I just want to be good and do well. Uh, I was at the game where he hit his first home run in extra innings against Toronto. Yes. That was, that was just an incredible game and baseball memory. And, uh, I think I've just always liked Nolan for that reason. So, who knows what uh, whether our predictions will come true, what might happen, but whatever it is, I hope it's I hope it's good for Nolan. So. And it'll make a good movie. The Nolan Reimold movie. We will probably talk about uh, some. I don't want to get into it tonight, though. It is it is a favorite of mine. There's there is a whole Nolan Reimold movie that Stacy and I have uh, have plotted out after the Orioles win the World Series, thanks to. In part, Nolan Reimold. We'll hear all about it. We'll be millionaires. Anyway, left field is actually going to be manned by Luke Scott, barring injuries. And the community predicts 136 games for Luke, uh, 27 doubles, 29 homers, 275 average, 356 on base, 524 slugging percentage. 
that's uh, that's hopeful. Some of the, some of it, some of it seems like the games seem a little low because when he's not in left field, he can DH. I, Vlad is going to need time off, and you just slide Luke in there, and you slide Felix in left, and those seem low, but. Right, that's not a Sunday forfeit lineup uh, no. like we've seen in past years. That's for sure. And uh, you know, I I really like Luke Scott. I think he is our best hitter. I know that's not the most popular opinion, but I think he's the best hitter in this lineup, uh, despite his streakiness. And well, I'm I'm glad that for him because he's in the past said that he doesn't like DHing on a regular basis, and I'm happy that he is finally sort of getting his due, where the Orioles are making moves with him in mind as a middle-of-the-lineup type hitter. Right. Luke had his... He had a career year last year, and if he does, I don't know, 90% of that, that would be pretty great, I think. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, that's Luke Scott. He's going to be in left field now, and uh, yeah... Okay, so we've covered all the position players. Uh, the rotation, honestly, that's where we really get into the crack. Uh, well, that, that's where it's all at. That's yeah. uh, the season right there. Yeah, so, I mean, if this stuff happens, it's going to be an exciting time in, in Birdland, but I just I can't really envision a scenario where some of this stuff comes true. Like, okay, we'll start it off. Jake Arrieta is going to give us 160 innings with a 4.24 ERA and 1.36 WHIP. It's just okay. Now, Jake Jake has struggled in the spring and uh, well, he's struggled. Period. Yes, he's been inconsistent at best in his major league time. But well, the community feels optimistic about it. I so, I, I would know. take what they're giving us, and I'll take what they're having too. <laughs> So our, our uh, other in the rotation, we get Brad Bergeson, 3E1N. The community says he will give us 172 innings, 4.16 ERA, 1.325 whip. You know, with Brad, it's like on any given day, he could be totally dominant. Like, complete game, two-hitter. The other side just never looks comfortable. And then the next time he can go out, it's just hit city and death by paper cuts and whatever and like it, it, it's like how is this the same guy we really saw him destroy some good lineups in his first season and last year even when he was not doing well and then like honestly brad bergeson last year every time i looked at his stats i was like wow how is his stats how are his stats so bad because i was only remembering his good starts where he would just right just obliterate like we had three, I think we had three complete games last year, and two of them were Brad Bergson, which is, uh, which is honestly amazing to me. <laughs> or maybe it was one was Brad Bergson and two were Millwood. It was some, some combination of those two. Which part was amazing, that he was the guy giving the complete game so that nobody else could do it? That nobody else could, and that he was the one that did. It just seems like that would be not what you would expect. Um, well, that's just, he can go out there and dominate a game, but it seems like it's just impossible to, to predict when that's going to happen. Like, he'll go out and he'll either be, like, really great or kind of really bad. 
and we can only hope for more great games than bad ones, but the community certainly is feeling pretty good about, uh, about Brad Bergson. So, let's see, who's next? Justin Dukesher? I probably said that wrong. No, I think that's Dukesher. Andrew, if I remember right, you pretty much think he's not going to pitch uh, uh, anymore. Yeah, I would be shocked if we see him even for one game. I mean, I'm sort of surprised that he made it two innings in spring so far. You know, uh, they were saying on the Twitter tonight that the Orioles are projecting him to be ready for April the 21st. I'm like, I, I saw that report, too, and it's just like, okay, uh, you know what? Great, April 21st, maybe we'll see him. I don't know. Yeah. So our, our Camden chat prediction is 83 innings, 3.42 ERA. Okay, sure. I mean... Well, here's the thing. One, we don't know if he's going to pitch or how long he's going to pitch because he's Justin Dukeshire. That's his thing. Um, the other thing is the last time he pitched, he was great. Like, really great. But it was in Oakland, in Oakland's Mammoth's coliseum of a stadium where it's impossible to hit a home run and where the foul ground is as big as the fair territory and it was two years ago so you know he's two years older he's he's not a spring chicken if he's healthy you know i'm not even sure if i can expect that he's going to be great or good like i i don't know i don't have any expectation for him even if he is healthy It's interesting, so we'll see what we get out of Dukeshire. Uh Even if we don't get anything, I feel like the signing of Justin Dukeshire was a good thing because these are the kind of chances that uh, you know a, a mid-range market team like the Orioles need to take, I think. It's yes. just take, take cheap flyers on guys like Justin Dukeshire, and if they don't pan out, you know what, we're out. I think $700,000 if he never yeah, makes the right. active roster. I mean, that's, a round know, that, that's way better than signing Garrett Atkins for uh, $4.5 million guaranteed. Good. Good. So, I guess about Dukeshire, at least we can say that. Uh, it was it was a smart front office move, even if it never pans out. So yes. maybe the next one will. Okay. Chris Tillman, who may end up starting the season in the minors. Uh, it certainly looks what, that that. It's going that Whatever direction. things shake out. So, Tillman, we are predicting 109 innings, 4.35 ERA, 1.4 whip. Well, that would be great. Uh, it'd be disappointing if he's pitching. I mean, that's not great pitching, but that's pretty okay. And he's only up here for like 100 innings. That's it's another one of those things. So Stacy notes uh, predicting a 4.35 ERA for Chris is actually pretty bold, considering his major league ERA is an ugly 5.61. Sure. So Although yeah, it, you if know, you're it, feeling that good about Chris Tillman, you're really thinking that he's going to take that step forward that uh, many baseball professionals have predicted from him. But I don't know. Well, I think we sort of owe it to ourselves. That doesn't sound right, but. We kind of do need to see if he can do something like that at the major league level because he's got almost two full seasons down at AAA. Great numbers. Um, he's still very young, so it's it's not like he wouldn't stand to benefit by going back down there. But at some point, they got to let him pitch up here. Right. Tillman really rode the Norfolk-Baltimore shuttle uh 
the whole of last season. He just yeah. got jerked around so much. And... I was particularly upset, I guess. Well, he pitched in Texas against Cliff Lee, and he was awesome, just awesome. And then there was the All-Star break, and he didn't pitch for like eight days or whatever, and then he went out and got totally rocked by, I, I think, Tampa Bay. Just terrible. Night and day. Um, talk about you. You're like, how is this the same pitcher? But, and then he got sent down, and it's like, because, come on, like, because you gotta it was so give important that we would get a full season of starts out of Kevin Millwood. I right. think that was that was the most irritating thing about me for the Orioles last year, which just Kevin Millwood. Every time I sat down to write, you know, a game thread, and it was Kevin Millwood who was pitching, I just. You know, I try to be positive in those things, and every time Kevin Millwood was pitching, I just couldn't. Uh, so at least I don't have to have any Kevin Millwood content uh, in this Orioles season. Cross your Thank goodness for that. So moving through the rotation, probably our number two, Brian Mattis. Community, really liking him. Uh, 192 innings, 3.6 ERA. And of course, one of our prop bets uh, on the Camden Chat prop bet contest was whether the season-ending ERA or one gallon of gas price near Stacy's house would be higher. And uh, I'm thinking gas is going to be higher than Mattis' ERA. Well, I, I don't know if that's more of a statement about the price of gas or the statement about... That's true. That's true about that. So we were also predicting 60 walks to 136 strikeouts for Mattis, which would be a great, great ratio. Uh, I don't have his numbers in front of me right now, so... I'm not. I'm sort of out of my element, I guess. But yeah, Brian Mattis is, especially the last third of his season, the last 11 starts. I think the Orioles went 10 and one, and he was just totally dominant. In September, he had some ridiculous, like sub two ERA, and it's September, and you don't, you can't really keep track of the quality of your opponents and who's focused and who's not, who's gearing up for the playoffs and who's just riding out the string, but. Boy, well, there's something can, to be said for can... that because it's, you know, especially once the rosters expand. But, I mean, the Orioles had a lot of games against Boston, Tampa Bay, and New York in the Buck era. And, I mean, those teams were fighting it out for playoff spots. So if they were laying over and dying, you know, sure. that's their own problem. Sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, we, we had a good good streak against the AL East teams, and Mattis was certainly a part of that. Absolutely. But, you know... 11 starts, they didn't all come against the Yankees. Right, right. I don't I don't know off the top of my head either. I'm a, clearly a useless podcast host here. But anyway, our opening day starter, Jeremy Guthrie. 205 innings, 3.83 ERA. Give up 25 bombs, 1.26 whip. That would be okay. Yeah, I would, you know. Jeremy Guthrie is the sort of guy, I've been thinking about him a lot lately, just... I feel like he's been there forever, and I know that's not true, but like he's just outside of the one season where he was very bad, just bad. Um, he's just been very solid and sort of, for me anyway, underappreciated. Um, I would agree with that. I think Guthrie is somebody you could say he's an innings eater at about, and it's a compliment, not like somebody who's going to be Kevin Millwood and have a 5 ERA, and if he's healthy, pitch 200. But Guthrie, you know, 200 innings, and he'll probably have around a 4. And you need that guy on your staff, even if you're the New York Yankees. Yes. I so, think the it, New York Yankees would kill to have somebody like Jeremy Guthrie on their staff right now. Especially right now, that's right. So, although uh, 
Next time Jeremy Guthrie hits one of their guys, I think they might just want to kill Jeremy Guthrie, old, old uh, Joe Girardi. Well, Joe Never likes Guthrie, but then he's got A.J. Burnett on his staff, so he really needs to shut up. A.J. Burnett, he's, his stuff is just too electric. That's, he can't control it. It's just too good. His stuff is too good. Okay, Rob Dibble with the his stuff is too electric. No, sorry, I take it back. I don't want to – didn't mean to offend you there. <laughs> okay, so we've gone through all the rotation. Let's hit our infielders and catchers. Okay, Camden Chad. Should we do the biggest bust in the history of busts? Yes, he is listed first, so we'll start with Matt Weeders. Many are not as high on him as they used to be, but... Well, how ridiculous is it, exactly, to just give up on this guy after a season and a half, basically? Like, just totally give up on him. Like, come on. People just got way too into the whole Matt Weeders facts hype, and we're actually expecting some of those things, I think. And now that he's actually had some growing pains, you know, there was disappointment. But, I mean, if, if you watch a lot of Orioles games, as I know you and I do, sometimes you, you can just see from him swinging. It's like, you just feel like he's going to get just a tiny bit more speed, and then he's just going to obliterate, you know... Camden Yards to the extent that people might have predicted. There's definitely swings that he has taken where it's like the ball just screams off the bat, and it, it and it looks like he's just sort of flicking it out there, like just effortless. Yeah, and I mean it just goes so far. It's amazing. But you know he's got a lot of work to do. But I think everything we've learned about him says if he says, "Oh, it's a lot of work," bring it on, bring it on. And I would not be betting against him with his talent and his work ethic. I mean, we'll see, I guess. But I'm not, I'm not betting against him. So our lifeline into the studio audience for Weeders says he's going to hit 28 doubles, 20 homers, slash line 284, 357 on base, 444 slugging. And you know what? That would be pretty good. That would be epic. From that would be a great step forward. Defense, and, I yes. mean, that would be epic. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, he's he's a lot like the pitching staff, where it's just impossible to guess what he's going to do. And that's all it is. It's a, it's a shot in the dark. Um, so, we'll see. I'm excited. He's still though. a young player, but there's a lot of promise. And, uh, you know what? I still feel pretty good about Matt Weeders that he's going to figure it out and he's going to be uh, going to be doing pretty well for us. So, yes. Moving around the horn, Derek Lee, 143 games, 32 doubles, 24 homers, slash line, 281, 364 on base, and 472 slugging. Well, all that came before all of this wrist and foot and, and other yeah, wrist stuff. What was it? it was only this, like today, I think, was his first at-bat in an actual game of the spring. So, wow. Um, you know, what were we thinking making that prediction? I don't know. But uh, that's why I look at these and it's like, wow, what, uh, what were we doing? And that's even more pronounced as we move on to Brian Roberts, who collectively we predict 142 games. 42 doubles, 10 home runs, 287, 361, 431. Well, 142 games. I mean, it would be disappointing because I, I believe this is the first year of his, his new contract extension. 
So, like, we, we have him locked up for a long time, and if he had the nightmare season that he had last year and he can't come back from it, that would be very, very sad. I was looking at uh, career war graphs on fangraphs.com, and Brian Roberts, out of all of the Orioles' second basemen, he is second, I believe, behind only Bobby Gritch. I mean... On the one hand, that's sort of hard to believe that really Brian Roberts is the second greatest second baseman that's ever played for the Orioles. But, like, you know, that sort of makes sense to me. He's been so good, and the teams around him have been so bad. And he's played on the Orioles. I mean, once he finally won the job from Jerry Harrison Jr., which, by the way, how how unjust is it that Harrison has a World Series ring and Brian Roberts has never sniffed the playoffs? I mean, really. Well... Jerry Harrison Jr., true Yankee, forever. <sighs> that just, that gets me. Okay. Oh, yeah, this is actually the second year of Roberts' four-year extension. Ah. So he's got uh, 2012 and 13 making $10 million as well as this year. And that's what we've got left for Roberts. But it would just be so sad to see the team come together and then Roberts to see him sort of fall apart. Get hurt and not be a part of it. Yeah. I agree because he's he's just been such a solid guy through all these bad years. He really deserves yeah, to I be mean, a part of the next good Orioles team, even if it's you know the last year or two of his career. It's really sad and pathetic, but this past seven years or so, this has been the Brian Roberts era of the Orioles. That's one of those things I think about it. What was it? A couple years ago, they started those "This Is Birdland" commercials, and they had this one where it was like the the old the the older dad was like, "These are my heroes," and looking at the numbers, oh, yeah, and then yeah, his yeah. kid was there, and he was like, "And these are mine," and he's like high fiving Melvin Moore or something like that. It, it, I mean, when I think about that, it just really makes me sad. It, for all these kids, the best Orioles they've known are Melvin Moore and Brian Roberts. I. I mean, I like Brian Roberts. I liked Melvin Mori, except for when he came in with, in his last year with, uh, you know, why were we not respecting him? But Why you no respect Melvin? That just is so bad for this franchise when you look, and that's the best players over the last decade. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Brian Roberts, great player. It, it'll be very sad when he's gone, and we're left with whoever at second base, unless it's LJ Hose. Andrew is the number one LJ Hose fan, uh, probably on the planet Earth. Yes, love love the Hose. So yeah, we'll see how long uh, Roberts is healthy. I really hope the dire predictions of his uh, back problems don't come true. Because honestly, got... I, I just want to see Brian Roberts uh, be good on the next good Orioles team. I've got my Which... fingers crossed. Okay, so we keep moving around the horn for JJ Hardy, new JJ. New JJ. At shortstop, uh, 136 games, 26 doubles, 17 home runs, which is quite a rebound for him. Slash line, 277, 334, 436, which, well, after we saw Cesar as tourist last year, what is it, 276 on base or something with Cesar last year? It was he just was, disgusting. He was really the worst, worst hitter in baseball last year. Not even... There were a couple guys who are who are in that conversation, but it it's Cesar Estoris, worst hitter in baseball. Great glove, you know. I like the guy. Can't hit. I never want to watch him hold a bat ever again, <laughs> ever. 
which it's really sad how many shortstops we've said that about uh, with the Orioles in the last few years. And really, Cesar was supposed to save us from the five-headed monster of Bynum, Fahey, Cintron, Castro, Hernandez. And really, his 2010 was uh, probably worse than the collection of those guys uh, ended up being. But, you know. Yeah, but now JJ's going to save us, right? Right, JJ's here, and we didn't have to give up a ton to get him. Nope. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing JJ. Yes. Not suck at shortstop, uh, especially not suck when he bats. Well, he's he's another guy where like he had two phenomenal years in Milwaukee, and then got traded, like got hurt, got traded. Wasn't great last year. I you know compared to Cesar Asturias, he was. Very, very good, but got traded again. And you sort of look at a guy who has like a 20-plus home run season out of shortstop in Milwaukee, and then he's on three different teams in three different years, and you just sort of scratch your head. Like, what happened? Um, But I hope, you know, he can turn it around here and feels at home here, and we can hold on to him for a couple of years yet before we start looking at the Manny Machado era of the Baltimore Orioles. Really a lot of nickname potential for J.J. Hardy. So as bloggers, you got to appreciate that and uh, hope he's good so that they're nice nicknames rather than, um, you know, calling Justin Dukesher Justin Dukesher or something. Oh, that's not nice. I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry. Although so. calling, him, <laughs> calling him just Duke might be worse. Duke is, for us Maryland fans, uh, is, is also its own level. Terrible. Terrible. So anyway, our last, but certainly, well, hopefully not least, uh, Enigma at third base, Mark Reynolds, coming off a season where he batted 198 and yet still had a really not terrible on-base percentage. Yeah, that that was better than, like, more than half of the Orioles lineup. Yeah, he probably would have had percentage. the lowest batting average and one of the highest on base percentages. Go figure. So our Camden Chad predictions for Mark Reynolds, 150 games, uh, 27 doubles, 36 homers, 196 strikeouts, which I think is probably low. Uh, yes. Batting average, 248, 340 on base percentage, 505 slugging percentage. Well, the thing I'm worried about with him, coming into the AL East, new pitchers, new incredibly difficult-to-hit pitchers, what happens? Um, you know, it's not like the NL West is exactly a uh, hitter's paradise over there with Tim Lincecum and uh, Matt Latos and... Uh, San Diego's park, which everybody always says is like the most pitcher-friendly park in the majors. Right, right. So, but, you know, like, over here you got John Lester and CC Sabathia and all these other hard-to-hit lefties. And I know Mark Reynolds, he's he can hit lefties, but we'll see. Let's see, Mark Reynolds. Yes. Strikeout so even if he had his 320, that would have been the third best... <laughs> I'm sorry, fourth best on-base percentage for Orioles. Well, is, regulars. Is, is that counting Brian Roberts? It does. You're so, right. that's questionable. Because we had Nick Markakis, 370, Luke Scott, 368, Adam Jones, 325. That's your top three. Yeah. Not counting Roberts. And then 
my God, how did we put up with this season? Every time I look at these stats, it's just, yeah. Uh, well, I don't no. know. 2011, come on, bring it on. We had our, we had our Knights. Corey we, Patterson. We uh, I'm sure there were other Knights that were good. Um, yeah, it was terrible. Let, let's not talk about this anymore. Right, Corey Patterson with the Grand Slam in one of those Texas games when we swept those guys. That was that was quite a series. Yes, that was awesome. That was that was awesome. The rest of the season was not awesome. <laughs> Corey Patterson just like he had a really good, surprisingly good year uh, for us, and was still terrible. Like you don't want to have that guy playing on your team. Uh, uh, I hope I hope there's no Corey Patterson Part 3 in Baltimore. Yeah, there's actually, you know, maybe outfield depth in the minors now because Nolan will be down there most likely, and I guess Matt Angle is just a name I hear, and apparently he might be an outfielder <laughs> who can come up if somebody gets hurt. I don't know. I like that. I've if, heard if, of him. If Matt Angle really exists, he might be like a uh, Troy Patton kind of thing, and they just, you know have that uh, have that in there. But anyway, we've gone through all the players, so let's be real. What do we think we're going to get in a uh, number of wins by the end of this, uh, this season? Well, I'm sticking with it. I spent a month, two months, thinking really hard about this, and I really honestly don't see any reason why the Orioles don't have the talent to win 82 games. That doesn't necessarily mean it'll happen. You know, stuff happens. Guys get hurt, guys get traded, but I don't think it's that big of a leap for them to pick up the runs they need to win these games. And this that's is definitely the most exciting, potentially exciting lineup we've probably had in the entire losing streak. Uh, well, I guess maybe if you get in that 2005 Mirage season when, uh, you know, the... Uh, was the it? steroids hadn't quite washed out of the game yet, and you had Palmero and Sosa and Tejada on there, and it was like, you know, these guys could do some stuff. But One yeah. of those years, I think it was 04, maybe it was 05, the Orioles were like a top top 10 offense. Like, they scored a ton of runs, but the One pitching staff was Perry like Crowley Bruce Chapman. Chan and Sidney Ponson and Dave Gorbowski. And it's just like, well, shot ourselves in the foot there. Borkowski. I don't remember what his name was. So you're liking the 500 drought to maybe possibly end, it sounds like. Yeah. The only thing I'm worried about, though, is, like, that sounds really great. It really, really does. But I'm not sure that it's actually going to be more fun to sit through and win 82 games and still be, like, 20 games out of first place. That's really been the great debate, and it was it was what came up a lot on Camden Chat when they signed Vlad. It's like, okay, so you're going for 82 wins to break that symbolic thing. And I just, I keep going back and forth on it, because it's like, you know what? Being an Orioles fan is really a big part of who I am as an individual. And so seeing them be so terrible really sucks. And, uh, you know, the every national news story you bring up, oh, the 13 years of losing... Would it be nice to break that streak just so they can't say, oh, they've lost, had 13 straight losing seasons? You know, it would, but it would be more nice to see them, like, win the World Series, yeah. uh, which hasn't happened in my lifetime. I was negative one month old the last uh, time the Orioles won the World Series. But, um, 
you know, at the same time, it's not an either-or proposition. Correct. You know what I really want, just for me as a person, I want to be able to talk to somebody who's a Yankees or a Red Sox fan that I don't know, and for me to be able to say, oh, I'm an Orioles fan, and for them to not say, oh, I'm sorry. Like... That's a great benchmark. Uh, you know what? I think we should all have that as what we hope for. Yeah, like That's I don't want people point. to feel sorry for me because my team isn't very good. I would like my team to be a lot better than I think they are, but, you know. In the end, whatever we get out of this year, I don't feel like they've mortgaged anything in the future to get whatever they're chasing here. So even if they come up short, I, I just feel like, something will probably go a little bit wrong and maybe we'll end up with 75 76 wins instead but i mean that's that's 10 games better than last year and that's a that's a big step forward considering before last year we'd been going backwards for like five years in terms of number of games won yeah and last year was only what one game better than the year before so i mean well two games better at the beginning of last year we were I seem to recall people were talking about, oh, how good do you think the Orioles are going to be? And people being optimistic. I think I was somewhere in like the 75 win area, which was obviously not a very good assessment. Um, But I was also pretty adamant to say that the wins are not how you want to judge this team. You want to look at how Weeders is doing and how Jones is doing and how a guy like Brian Mattis is doing. Um, And, you know, the year was still kind of a disappointment from a lot of ways if you're looking at it that way. But, again, this year I I want the Orioles to win a lot of games, obviously. Uh, That would be a lot better than them losing a lot of games. But I think we still got to look at the end of the season and say – how did Weeders do? How did Jones do? How did Tillman do? And and so on, basically. Right, because that's going to tell us where we are in 2012 when hopefully, I mean, if those guys are all better, you know, the guys like Vlad and Lee are going to be out after one year, then, you know, we can plug some holes with good players and, you know. Right. If, if they see the steps forward, I mean, the other thing is, attendance really sucks when it's not Yankees and Red Sox series. And I just... How many? If we win 82 games, I don't know how much more that's going to bump up the attendance. It's, it's got to bump I mean, it they up. Were, they were talking about, you know, well, so we got to sign Vlad because that's going to energize the fan base. But I mean, I don't know. How, how many people are really going to suddenly more want to go to the Orioles because Vlad Guerrero's on there? I just don't know. I mean, I guess the professionals, you know, crunch that. But I just personally am skeptical that that's going to add much. But if they win and they're not doing terrible, hopefully that'll bump it up a little bit. People who've just been sitting there thinking, ah, you know, I could go to the Orioles game tonight, but I got better things to do. <laughs> Orioles game looks like a better and better thing to do as the team's uh, less terrible. Yeah. That's that's my personal... And they are. They're less terrible. They are less terrible. Wait, that, that's that's not the way I want to sell this. They're, they're going to be exciting. I, I legitimately think they will be exciting. I don't know if it's going to be because of Vlad Guerrero, but Zach Britton, that's an exciting guy to watch. If you're a baseball fan and he's pitching, you're going to want to go and watch him pitch because he's good. And Brian Mattis, he's good. If it's individual players you're looking at, the Orioles have enough individual players that they should be able to excite the fan base just by those guys doing well. 
Talking about Britain, it's worth noting that uh, the baseball writer's resident curmudgeon Keith Law is very, very, very positive on a guy like Zach Britton. And, you know, he just... It's interesting seeing Law actually be kind of excited for a player because there's so many guys where he just, you know, gets stuff on his Twitter and, you know, he's mocking people who think that person's good. But Zach Britton, he's just very excited about it. And it, I mean, seeing seeing Britton pitch, or, well, what I've heard about his stats in the spring was apparently very exciting too. And it's, uh, you know, whoever's holding down the rotation spot, somebody like, you know, Bergeson Arietta is probably going to get shoved aside for Britton in the not too distant future, cool. and that's that's good for the franchise if, you know, if there's that kind of thing happening. Yeah, I got to see Britton pitch last spring in Bowie against Kyle Drabeck, who's... The in, spawn of Doug Drabeck. Yeah, right. He's in the Blue Jays rotation. He was just announced as in the rotation uh, today or yesterday, and Zach Britton just outpitched him, straight up outpitched him. It wasn't particularly close. The Bay Sox won. It was uh, a lot of fun to watch those two talents go at it. But the thing that, I mean, I'm just a guy. I'm not a scout or anything. But the thing that really stood out to me is, you know, when Kyle Drabeck, his fielders made a mistake or he made a, like a mistake pitch or whatever, like you could see he was wearing his emotions on the mound a little bit and sort of stabbing at the ball and like talking to himself and whatever. But Zach Britton, just cool as a cucumber. It looked like nothing could phase him. And he wasn't perfect. Uh, specifically, he had trouble against Adam Lowen, which is a little embarrassing because Adam Lowen, not much of... Drop and drive, Adam. Yeah. Drop and drive. <laughs> but he just... It, it really looked like nothing can affect him on the mound. And, like, he had his spring debut against... Uh, was it the Phillies or the Yankees? I gotta be honest. I have not watched or listened to an inning of spring because I just can't get myself to care about fake games. <laughs> okay. Well, he came out and I guess you could tell that he was nervous. And he said, "Oh, like I I can't tell you what happened. Like I I wasn't paying enough attention. Like it was everything was going a mile a minute. Um, and he was still good." It was just spring training against some team that I can't even remember if it was the Phillies or the Yankees. But, you know, the guy's got so much talent and enough, I guess, innate coolness about him that, boy, it's going to be exciting when he's up in Baltimore and pitching every five days. Britain really destroyed the minors last year. Well, he had 153 innings between AA and AAA and registered... 2.7 ERA, struck out 124 guys to 51 walks. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, 18 wild pitches, that's not so good. But maybe he didn't have good catchers. I don't know. Well, I shouldn't talk smack about Caleb Joseph or something. I just always like that guy's name. I like Caleb Joseph's name. I don't yeah, know about he, his like bat or, or glove or anything, but I, I like his I like his name. Another one of those guys. You just hear about him and you hear like two sentences and you're like, man, Caleb Joseph, I hope he's good. Yeah, I do hope he's good. So Britain will probably force his way into the rotation, uh, possibly if he really obliterates AAA to start as soon as the uh, service time deadline passes, which I think it's like April 24th. 
which coincidentally, if Justin Dukeshire fails to be ready for just uh, April 21st, Zach Britton instead. That possibly, would be, uh, that'd be possibly a nice what we could upgrade. see. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, we'll see. You know, I, I guess it sort of depends what else is happening. Uh, it's easy to say the plan is we'll see Zach Britton and Justin Dukeshire on April 24th. But we'll see. There's so many things that can happen between now and then. Um, especially with young pitchers, you know, nobody wants to talk about all of the risk that we're sort of putting everything on, but that, yeah, that was one thing we, none of the community really predicted. Nobody's going to have, you know, their elbow blown out, their shoulder, uh, you know, get the dreaded Fabrum bear attack, which hopefully we don't see that. It would, it would suck to lose out on those guys for that reason, but fate is fickle and who knows? Well, the Orioles have done a good job so far in keeping everybody healthy and not overworking anybody from what I can tell. And I, I guess a lot of, you know, people talk about the Rays and the Rays' successes. Oh, well, they had all these great pitchers and none of them got hurt, so they were lucky. But I'm not sure it's just luck. You know, the team puts a lot of work into making sure the pitchers stay healthy, especially when it's five pitchers all under the age of 25. Um, there's a lot of risk at that age, I guess. I don't know if that's true. It sounds good, though. But, um, you know, the Orioles, so far, whatever happens that happens badly, I don't think is going to be their fault. You know, fate, you know, stuff happens. But I, I feel like the Orioles have put a lot of time and effort into making sure that these guys come up and don't blow out their elbows. Um, so, we'll see. And sure enough, there's uh, pretty much who the future's riding on, so... Right. So 2011 season, bring it on, let's see what you got. Believe it or not, we've been going here for 54 minutes without even really trying to. Andrew and I, before we started, were saying, okay, we'll stop around 30 minutes. Here we are. I guess this stuff is addictive, but uh, hopefully, Camden <laughs> Chat readers, listeners, now you are have enjoyed something, uh, we would welcome your comments because this is something we want to make, you know, not like a weekly feature, but do every so often throughout the season. And uh, so it's a work in the, progress. The less terrible we are as people doing podcasts, the better that's going to be for all involved. So hopefully uh, we can get some feedback. So Andrew, it's been a pleasure. Nice right. talking to you. Uh, I guess I'll see you opening day at Pickles. Yes. We will be in the bar along with Stacy tells me the guys from Utah Street Hooligans, whoever from the site drops by. Natty Bo on tap back in Baltimore. Drink whatever you want and uh get some SK hot dogs. Yeah, and uh and hopefully Kevin Gregg doesn't do what Mike Gonzalez did on opening day last year. That's that's really what I'm dreading more than anything. Well, let's just, hope Mike Gonzalez doesn't do it either. Yeah, or or Mike Gonzalez. So um Yeah, so Camden Cast this is Birdland, and we are signing off.